Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Simon Mills. I'm an, a senior associate at the Zien Group. I would like to welcome you all to today's FS Club webinar, where we're going to be discussing workers' voices, fulfilling the S ambitions in ESG. Now, I'm joined by Chris van der Brochen, uh, the Chief Executive Officer of ES3G Limited, a London-based fintech that's developed the technology that gathers the workers' voice in real time to monitor labour conditions in the supply chain. As always, the agenda for this webinar is very simple. Following my introduction, our speaker is going to make their presentation, and then we're going to move on to the Q&A discussion. But I'm afraid you're all muted, but you are able to submit your questions to Chris through the chat tool to the right of your screen. Please do chip in any point of the proceedings i'm going to be collating your question and i will put them to chris at the end as with all of our fs club webinars we're going to be recording this session and you're going to be able to access chris's slides and presentation at a later date now before we move on i really must thank fs club members who've opened up our webinar series to the public with their help since march of 2020 we have held nearly 400 of these events on topics as diverse as money laundering the metaverse and high salinity agriculture the fs club is the premier global executive knowledge network for technology and finance where members and their guests can meet over a glass of wine to debate key issues which impact on financial services, technology and society. It's very much like a 21st century version of the city's 17th century coffee houses. Now, without further ado, I would like to introduce today's speaker. Chris, please tell us about fulfilling the S ambition in ESG. Good, thank you. Thank you, Simon. So maybe quick quick introduction on, on myself, like just uh, a minute. So so my name is Chris van Broekhoven, Belgian national, but I've lived in London uh, for 25 years now. Uh, my professional background has been in banking and more specifically uh, trade finance, where I spend most of my career at institutions like Deutsche Bank and, and Citigroup um, in as most most recently as, as a global head city group of uh, trade finance in, in, in commodities raw materials in that kind of uh, on that journey I, I, I got um, mesmerized by digitization in the last few years and has moved my my career in that direction ended up like eight months ago in what is now uh, one of our two companies called ES3G okay and I'll tell you more more about that uh, in a second uh, first, to demystify that logo, ESG is obviously known to everybody these days, hot topic. Uh, where does the three come for? The, 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 from the, the three refers to, it's a superscript for the S, it's social scoring system. That's pretty much what it is. Why? Because we don't, we don't do everything for ESG. There's plenty of us out there kind of uh, fixing things on the ESG side. On the ESG side, we focus very much today on the S of ESG and it is one of the aspects of, of uh, ESG which we believe is underreported. Uh, many people uh, believe it's very hard to measure if possible at all and I hope to demystify some of that on this on this webinar uh, Simon uh, talking about what we do and what the industry is actually doing so it's uh, it's hopefully it's going to be interesting for the audience. So shall we start with the first slide? Um, Good. 
So this is just uh, the agenda, pretty much, what I want to cover in the next uh, 20 minutes or so. First of all, ESG obviously is much more than the S, but uh, what gets the, 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 the headlines and the press most for time is the drive of the planet, right, and the industry, and uh, all of which we are all part here, towards a reduction in greenhouse uh, and greenhouse gas emissions. That gets a lot of attention, but obviously there is more to ESG than, than, uh, than the climate change and the S is, um, is what we cover today. So what we'll, what we'll talk about, the S is about worker conditions, labor conditions. It's about human rights due diligence, which is a, a, a common name to refer to. It's part of corporate uh, and social responsibility. That's where it belongs. Okay. Um, I'll, talk, I'll talk you through what the current processes are, what the industry does, what they developed and why and why we believe something new is required, absolutely required, because um, there is a lot of pressure from, from stakeholders. I mentioned here, legislators, regulators, uh, stakeholders, investors, researchers, uh, and consumers, not to forget, are putting more and more pressure on, pressure on the industries to fix things, right, in terms of the S of ESG. We do believe the, 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 it's all in motion. It's really happening, especially when the legislators are, are, are stepping up. Things really, really happen. And I hope to, to show to the, to the industry or the audience here that there are things that can be done actually to make it also happen and make it less scary than it is today for some of the, or quite a few, I think, of the participants in the, in, in, in the market. Good, so let's go. We start with the next slide. Bit of history first, I'm gonna give you here you go, some pictures. I don't know whether um, people remember these pictures. These were very famous a long time ago. I was still a, a young, young gentleman at the time, but in 91, around that time, this first picture on the top appeared uh, in the global press and it was linked to sweatshops. People had not heard about sweatshops, but the sweatshop is one of these uh, places, workplaces where workers uh, work for very low, low wages in very often appalling conditions. And this was a picture that was uh, quite famous at the time. This is 91, okay? A few years later, um, you had this other famous picture, a Pakistani boy uh, kind of uh, stitching footballs together for a well-known brand, which was really dragged into the news at the time and took a lot of beating uh, in the global press. So it was outrage. Um, a long time ago already, it's more than 30 years ago, right? Um, linked to specific bracelets, it's not only this brand, obviously, that you can see there were others also that had similar stories, but this is pretty much where it started, okay? And that's why um, it is relevant here. We'll go to the next slide. Here you go, this is a bit more recent, right? This is about seven, six, seven years ago, but a massive scandal, uh, which is, still talked about as a big example among the ethical sourcing community, right? Uh, the corporate social responsibility people among us. It's a, a disaster that happened in Dhaka, in Bangladesh, in, in 2016, it's called Rana Plaza. And it's a factory, a building that uh, house five garment uh, producers with thousands of workers. And it collapsed because they had not taken care of the health and safety regulations, etc. The building collapsed and killed more than 1,000 workers and more than 2,500 workers uh, injured in the accident, which was, which really kind of caused outrage and really triggered a lot of action from the industry, including from MTOs 
labor unions and industry uh, in industry uh, initiatives around social audit which we'll talk about in a second next slide please so how did the industry respond right since 90 early 90s but uh, accelerated uh, in 2016 first of all the industry did a good thing right they came up with a code of conduct and actually there is no universal code of conduct for social labor conditions you've got un uh, principles around um, um, human rights uh, which many people kind of uh, um, use as inspiration for their own corporate level codes of conduct what it means is like these are values we subscribe to most of the big brands have them on their websites to show that they are responsible uh, 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 purchasers and, 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 and retailers uh, it is really kind of a list of all the the, the values they sign up they sign up to next one so signing up to your own code of conduct is obviously not good enough you've got to make your suppliers sign up to that code of conduct and how you do that you just uh, demand your suppliers to sign up to your own code of conduct and and undertake to comply with that to be able to qualify as a supplier self-certification you can imagine this comes with some downsides and uh, especially when suppliers uh, are keen which they all are to sell to the big brands they will be very keen to self-certify but it does not mean uh, they will actually be complying with it that's a harder thing to monitor so the next thing that happened is social audit was invented also about 30 years and has been active actively used for 30 years it's actually the only tool really that's been available to the industry to monitor adherence to the codes of conduct of the big brands out there social audit what it means is a survey so, so you 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 ask a certain inspection company, auditing company, to go and do a social audit, just like you do a financial audit, but you just uh, is focused on the code of conduct of the of the brand, and you go and send in some surveyors to the factories, to all the suppliers, uh, once a year, once every six months, once every two years, even three years, it happens to go and do a survey um, to see if the if the factories comply with your code of conduct. That's pretty much what it comes down to. We'll talk more about that in a second. So that was the industry response. Next slide, please. What happened? History keeps repeating itself. These are just three headlines I took, right? Uh, and they're all from the last uh, year or two, right? You can read the headlines. There are many, many more like that, but constantly brands and big, big companies get dragged into the negative press when something happens in their supply chain and it's mostly is very often about child labor forced forced labor etc harassment uh minimum wages etc uh more recently in the uk the last last uh, uh headline is from uh, less than a month ago uh so it keeps coming back so clearly there is something that still needs to be done next slide please so here's the problem calls of conduct we believe are a very good first step but it is like yeah setting out what you would like to do it's something that is easy for you as a brand or a retailer or just a manufacturer or consumer uh, uh industry participant to kind of make claims about being a sustainable and responsible uh organization and trust me many of these companies right do have the right intentions with their codes of conduct okay the different the, the, the difficulty in the industry is how do you make your supply chain comply with it and how can you monitor it and how can you make sure that they 
they come up with remedies when something needs to be remedied. Okay, that's the real problem. And, 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 and the point that I'm making today is, and I'm not the only one, if you really research uh, a bit more in Google, a bit in the, on, on, on the topic, uh, definitely not the, the, the only one saying that, but social audits un unfortunately only do part of the job and it's still the only tool that is pretty much available today to the industry. So it's widely used, okay? My point is it's flawed for a couple of reasons. First of all, social audits, as I said, is service. You send in inspection companies. If you want an inspection company to do a really deep dive on all the worker conditions, labor conditions, health and safety, everything that's out there in the space of the S of ESG, that will have to be a pretty deep dive. And you're not going to have a deep dive by an auditing, auditing firm will cost money. So it's very expensive. In the industry of retail, et cetera, and consumer goods, you know, the margins are, it's a very competitive world. Margins are thin. So there is no money really to do this. And that's one of the reasons why Social audits, although in theory, the right thing to do, send in an inspector to check, right? Whether things are happening, in practice, it's not really finding what they're supposed to find. Because it's too expensive, they're, they're quickly done. They're done by firms that don't cost much, low cost, and therefore not the highest quality. That's just what it is. That's all, that's all the industry can afford really to do. Plus, it does not detect forced labor. It does not detect harassment. You don't interview 20, 30 uh, em employees or staff members or workers who are actually visible to the management, right? Um, they are not open to talk as freely as they should to give a, a real feedback uh, on, on, on how they are being treated, what's really happening in practice. So that's why we said that's the shortcomings of social audits. As a result of that, brands are still accused, as you saw in the headlines in the previous slide, are still accused of treating social issues as a PR matter, trying to kind of manage the reputational risk, right? But not and not as a, 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 a an opportunity to actually uh, deal with, with human rights violations across the world. And it gets worse, as you can imagine, as you go into countries which have a big labor force or, or, or lots of people. Take, take Bangladesh as an example, the place where Rana Plaza kind of accident happened. They've got 160, if not 170 million people in a fairly small country. So obviously labor force is their strength. But it also means that um, uh, manufacturers try to take advantage because it's cheap. Okay, it's ideal to manufacture, etc. It's not the only country, you got all this, China, Sri Lanka, you got many others like, like that, obviously, but that's where the risks are, obviously. Okay, so there we go. And then for the brands, sustainability claims, they want to make them. The consumers expect them to make them, right, uh, today. And they are still at risk of being called out. That's pretty much the problem that we have in, in with the S of ESG. Next slide, please. Let's talk about solutions. So, what is very, impo very important here in our view is the power that stakeholders have and are, have started to show, right, in driving change. So self-regulation, self-certification has not really done much. It has not had the impact. The, the, the headlines are still coming. There is still child, child labor out there. There's still forced labor out there and other things that, that, that are not supposed to be there and then closer to, to us than we would imagine. 
those of you in the UK, it is it is very close to us. It's also in this country. Okay. Um, so where did it start? Actually, the stakeholder power started changing. Actually, and gives us a, a, a hope that that today is the time. Now is the time that things will actually be fixed. First of all, remember the global economic crisis, 2007, 2008. It did trigger one thing. It is it did did come up with a new concept of corporate responsibility. Corporates had to add value, and in the city of London, we we know that better than 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 any other industry. Right, we're in the middle of it. But uh, corporate responsibility was a new new feature and is being taken seriously. And this is a topic that is on on every kind of uh, uh, CEO agenda uh, these days. Okay. In addition to that, what's been happening, obviously for a long time already, journalists, NGOs, now more recently, social media influencers, obviously make sure that uh, brands are held to account when there is a serious uh, violation spotted. That's not really new, but with social media, with globalization. Uh, they reach a much, much, much larger, larger public than was the case 30 years ago, for example. Then we've got investors, rating agencies, etc. They obviously researchers. You, 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 many of them will will, will be among the audience today. Uh, you're also stepping up, right, and uh, and 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 making ESG a part of your research and of your rankings and due diligence on companies. I'm not going to go into greatest detail you know it better than i do but it's definitely a very important stakeholder group that will have an influence on what's going to happen in practice and finally and i believe this is probably the strongest voice at the table is the consumer right consumers are demanding more and more um, to have information to know what the products they are supposed to buy are made of where they're made and how they're made and there's more and more consciousness among the consumers to be responsible when they can, when they can afford it. Obviously, it's a lot easier when you can afford to pay an extra price for a brand that uh, is a bit more responsible than another one, maybe, right? But they can they can vote with their with their wallet, which is very very important. And when it comes down to consumer goods um, 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 and retailers, etc., the consumer's voice is very very important because it affects the, 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 the bottom line, the, or the top line to start with, obviously. So we're very lucky to have uh, this, this change in, 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 in mindset. So we talk about Generation Z, etc. Kind of, okay, I'm not going to spend too much time on that. We've, we've got all the forums from these things, but you know, kind of is that context uh, that we have for consumers. So finally, and this is very important in my view, also the legislators and the regulators, let's say that they, they go together, right? They're also stepping up. And this is so important that it will lead to change and very rapid change. I'll just mention, I'll mention two examples here on the slide. One is Germany, another one is Canada. Germany was the first one, first country that come up with legislation. It's already, already effective for a few months. Started actually becoming effective for the 1st of January of this year, right? It will be gradually rolled out. But what Germany did is they came up with a supply chain uh, law, Lieferkettensgesetz for the Germans among, among us. Um, the, and it says like all the large corporates in, in, in Germany with over a thousand kind of, uh, uh, employees that import goods that have a supply chain outside the country are obliged by law now to monitor their supply chain for human rights to diligence. And it comes with penalties, right? Up to 2% of revenue of the multinational, the company. 
that we're talking about. So it's really scary. You can imagine this will wake people up and drive this up to the agenda of the CEO again, right? That something needs to be done. Canada was only kind of in the news, I think, a week ago, and they passed a similar law um, saying that uh, all the companies, the Canadian companies, have to monitor uh, their supply chains for violations of uh, um, forced labor uh, in particular, etc. So when these laws come in, it, 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 it brings a shock effect to the industry because people are not ready for this. And, and, and when penalties are there, then it gets very scary. So people are scrambling for solutions. Okay. And as I said before, the only solutions that are out there is social audits. And they do not really kind of do the trick. Okay. So that's why we believe it is a good time actually kind of uh, to step to step up and actually let technology do the thing. I mean, ESG is an example, right, of how we do it. And it gets, you make me, hopefully it makes, makes you think a little bit of what is possible, et cetera, where these use cases will happen. But we have ways to, to, to actually uh, monitor um, the supply chains uh, for the real issues, including forced labor, harassment, et cetera. Um, and we believe they should be able to complement the social audits who are better at uh, monitoring other things uh, than, than, than the more soft issues that, that, that matter. Next slide, please. So on ES3G, a few slides. I don't want to make this a, a product pitch too much, right? I uh, don't want to abuse FS Club's uh, generosity here to give me time in doing that. But I do have to mention a few things, obviously, right, uh, Simon, about it, what we do, because otherwise it's all theory that I'm just um, uh, talking about here. But uh, we are talking about direct worker engagement. So if you want to know um, how workers are treated, ask them, ask the workers. And how can you ask the workers? Now, survey social orders do the same thing, but it's just once a year, or once every two years. And they talk to a subset of workers. And when you've got a factory that employs, uh, let's say, 5,000 workers, and you've got many of those, right, in the, in the countries that uh, are at risk of, uh, of, of not being as compliant as others uh, with, their, with their labor conditions. Uh, if you only interview 30 of them, right, that sometimes like, you're not going to get it. Plus, it's, um, it's very often coached, right, by management. They all want to come, come out well, et cetera. Anyway, not going to delve into that. So we've got to ask them. We've got to ask them anonymously and in a safe way. And technology allows us to do that. So we, we do it via mobile phone app which is downloadable on the workers' phones down to the most simple, cheap uh, uh, mobile phone that, that has ever been invented, right? Which is obviously relevant for certain countries. And they, they, they download it for free. It's obviously in, 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 in collaboration with the factory. So management knows this, and actually they promote this to their workers as a way to monitor kind of uh, the, the yes, um, so they can show it later on to their, to, to, to their, to their buyers. Right, who will demanding it because they have to monitor their supply chains as I managed, as I managed, as, as, as I explained earlier. So we, we put the, the technology on the mobile phone app, but what we do is we just ask them the questions from time to time. And it's real time, as Simon said in the beginning, because we continue to ask questions to the workers. It's not just a one-off survey, it's not a survey, okay? So we actually entice the workers to come to the app, let's say twice a week, it takes two minutes for them to answer 10 questions okay it's very simple very quick for them to do but it generates a lot of data which we then work with to process and do something with later on so that's pretty much what we do so that's the app we, we make it look uh, a bit nice it's just one 
starting slide there. We can go to the um, to the next uh, step to give you a bit more of a view of that works. We said real time, all the workers all the time. So all the workers um, are, are, are able to download the app and they can access it for free um, and anonymously. So, so, so no, we will not share. Um, actually, we don't know much about the worker. We don't need to, who they are, et cetera. So, so, so um, all, all we know is, is, is a worker ID for us to be able to manage kind of uh, uh, the app in the background. And it's mostly for reasons of uh, finding authentic answers. So what is very important here is that we, 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 we can, with technology, detect non-genuine answers. Coaching, when it happens, when the supervisor sits next to you, when it says, well, you answer that, you answer that, etc., uh, our app will detect it because uh, they, 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 we, we've got ways to do it in the algorithms, etc., and, and, and deviation, whatever. We use statistical models in, in, in the background to interpret the data and to decide whether a a worker is genuine in his responses or her responses or, or not. I'm not going to bore you with that detail, but it's one thing that obviously we take very seriously. So they get 10, 10 questions at a time out of a panel of about 80. And these 80 questions we, we developed all in relation to the United Nations standards, right, that I talked about in the beginning. Um, so, so they're all relevant uh, um, uh, for the industry. They answer questions in very simple ways, so in, 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 available in all languages, obviously, because when you go to workers, you got to address them in their own language. It just doesn't take that long to translate questions when we move into a different country, etc. And they respond on a regular basis. We also use prize draw mechanisms um, to, to, to make it fun, right? Um, and to, um, to, to let the workers come back. They usually, most of the time, they use this in their free time outside work in the morning in the evening they can share their their their, their, their mobile phones when they don't have them themselves etc and the data end up with us okay and we crunch all those data that's pretty much what we do next slide please what is important here is to make the results the feedback we get directly from workers relevant is to map it to in our case the eti base goal so this is the ethical trading uh, initiative. Uh, many of you will be familiar with this. is uh, actually very much a, a European, UK kind of uh, uh, answer to the UN principles, uh, which is a bit difficult to get through and uh, to make them more concrete. So, so it's been, I've, I've listed them on the slide. So for those who are not familiar uh, with it, but this is like the nine um, uh, dimensions of the ETI base code. And so our 80 plus questions relate to all of these aspects right, of the ETI base code. That helps us to kind of um, highlight and come up with traffic lights, right? To kind of show whether a factory is kind of safe, scores well on certain aspects, which, which does happen, obviously, right? And where they have weaker points. Once we know that it's a traffic light system that we introduce, then we can drill, drill down, actually, and our, our factories and buyers can drill down into the detail to actually analyze a bit more. And our technology does a lot of the analysis and the recommendations for, for remedies, et cetera, that will be available, depending on the feedback we get from the workers. Next slide, please. So that's in short, pretty much a journey that I try to, to sum, summarize here. Kind of, uh, the workers use the app continuously. It's always on their phone. Uh, it's not something you've got to organize every month or every quarter or every year. It's, it's always there, easy to access. When we get the data, um, so, so every time a worker responds with an answer to 10 questions, we, and this is all randomly chosen from the 80, right? We get 10 data points uh, in 
to our app. Um, to give an example how quickly it can scale, we, we went live with a large factory um, in, um, in Bangladesh about a year ago. Um, and within a week after the launch, we had 50,000 data points already kind of collected in a week. Right, the bigger the factory, obviously, the more workers and then the more data points you collect, but it is really massive. And we've got in our system right now, just having worked with 36 factories so far in the last year, um, in Sri Lanka, India, uh, and Bangladesh, we've gathered more than a million data points for, for, for these uh, actually 36 factories. It can go really, really, really quickly, okay? We crunch the numbers, we, we organize them, map them against the ETI base code, et cetera, and come up with uh, conclusions okay in real time and what is interesting for the retailers that we've worked with so in these pilots over the last year we've worked with large retailers in the uk especially kind of mns asda and tesco have really given us a lot of time uh, to help us uh, get this right okay we've got some others as well actually that are present in southeast asia um and um so so we, we developed these dashboards to make it actually useful for the factories and, and the buyers to actually do something with the data it does detect stuff that social audits do not detect as expected. So, so we've got a lot of stuff to, to, to back that up. Finally, right, consumers here, it's the next step that we have in our pipeline is to communicate the results with the consumer in the shop, okay? We're not doing it today yet because we haven't um, gathered the enough data for in our factories, right? But once we have that, it is a choice for the retailer. They can actually use the data for a specific dress or shorts or whatever that somebody wants to buy in, in, in a shop. Uh, and, and you can actually kind of liaise, can interact via, via QR codes on the labels, et cetera. We absolutely believe that's the future, right? Of uh, engagement between uh, retailers and, uh, and, and, and shoppers, consumers, and not just on the social aspect. You, 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 some of you will, or many of you will know about the, digital passport initiatives on the environmental side, right, that are being worked on at EU level, et cetera. It's going to be probably a combination of all of that. So all, lots of ESG credentials related to a specific product will be able to communicate those with the consumer uh, and, 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 and meet that demand. And actually, yeah, help the consumer vote with their wallet in the end. And that is how change will be coming to the markets quite rap rapidly. Next slide, please. Good, a little comparison, right? To keep it in context of what I talked about earlier. So it's made a little comparison of what is the difference between this worker engagement that we're talking about here and social audits. We're not saying social audits should disappear. We're just saying they don't do what they're meant to do. They don't detect all the problems that actually that the, the companies now by law, right? Gradually will be, will be obliged to detect and do something about. So we're saying social audits are very good at, search, at detecting search, certain aspects like, like health and safety rules. They, they can count the, the, uh, the, the number of fire doors, et cetera. You, you can imagine. There's lots of stuff that social audit can do easily. They can, they can find out if, if there are policies in the management. What they're not so good at is, is, is finding out how management complies with their own policies. It's the management behavior that is very difficult to, to, to find out in a social audit. So, uh, direct worker feedback is a lot, a lot better at doing that. And I've listed a few of those things that actually the, the app picks up very, very well uh, in practice. Okay, then um, 
not going to bore you too much with this, but the autom automated root cause analysis is important for, for, for the brands and the retailers because when you know, when you've detected something, what are you going to do with it? The companies are not all so well equipped to go and fix things across their supply chain, but we need to give them tools to do so, right? Which we can do and another technology just um, analyzes the data and gives them guidelines as to how to go to fixing them. Okay, so our, our point is actually the two models can go back in, can, can go hand in hand and provide a much, much better solution than what has been uh, used in the last 30 years. Next slide, please. We're getting there almost at the end. I couldn't kind of resist putting this one up. Uh, and the reason is very simple. Tim Pilch, who I put here at the, at the, at the, at the bottom, is an ethical sourcing consultant, right, that we work with. And he's one, in, 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 he's based in London also, and he's one of the leading experts on uh, ethical sourcing. Uh, used to be head of ethical sourcing at uh, Pendant Brands in the UK, which has JD Sports and all the brands out there. Um, so he's got a, a long uh, kind of uh, experience. He's worked closely with NGOs, uh, with work, work of voice experiments, with, with, with others, etc., out there. And he's been working very closely with us as well. And this is his conclusion when, when he's working with uh, what, I've, what I've just explained to you. Right, where he say kind of, uh, it is very important if the legislators are going to put pressure as they're doing right now on such large number of companies and there is no real tool yet to meet that demand to really do the detection you're supposed to do, kind of what you're going to do. You've got to do something at scale and it's affordable. Okay, so technology is the only way. Doing kind of um, uh, calling ca calling workers on, on, on their mobiles is not worker voice, <laughs> right? Um, because it's not scalable. It's the same as a survey, right? You need to have them constantly interacting in our view, right? Um, and that's part part of this, uh, which we believe will will actually make, make a difference. And once a tool is available at an affordable price, we can do this at $10 a month per factory. We can, we can just monitor, get, get a big retailer to monitor their factories for $10 a month, every factory. This is really, really cheap. That's that, that is, uh, so budget is not, it's not, it's not a concern in that case. So we believe that as the technology is available, it will be a lot easier for the brands to add these things to, to their tools. Next slide, please. Here we go, final one. Um, so just a bit of a recap, right? I started off by saying that uh, for Monitoring the S of ESG, kind of, it's not so simple. So, so or they still have flaws, and 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 brands still are caught out, right, uh, by news articles. Um, brands really need need better tools uh, to 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 manage their own reputational risk from a PR perspective, but also to drive impact, which they all would like to do if they could. Okay, so regulators, stakeholders, consumers, financial world, right, all putting pressure. So it is going to happen. Uh, and for those uh, who find it very scary to comply with all those laws and stakeholder expectations, um, at least I hope I've, 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 I've shown one of the tools that, uh, that are available today to actually kind of uh, fix these issues and then provide a solution to what, what the legislators are looking for. And yeah, direct worker engagement is what we call it. Um, we are a, um, a startup company, right? We're backed by, by, by private equity, VC, money, angels, etc. Like like many. Um, we got my contact details. 
uh, here in case in case somebody wants to reach out. Uh, Simon, I'm going to hand over to you again. Um, Fantastic. Thank you, Chris. That was absolutely fascinating. Now, I can see we've got a lot of questions from our audience, but as chairman, I'm going to take the, uh, the privilege of asking the first one. Yeah. Um, and my question is, why now? Um, why is there so much interest now and, and not at any point over the last 30 years? It, it, yeah, it's a, good, it's a good one, Simon. Thanks for asking that one because it answers many other things in, in one go, right? And I've probably answered, given answer answers kind of in, in the presentation, but it's a good way to, to recap it right now. It's, it, it's not that it didn't happen in the last 30 years because the CEO of Nike was not serious, right, about fixing the issue. He said, like, I don't want this to happen. I don't want to be linked to, 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 to problems, right, in my supply chain. I don't want to be accused of uh, having children making my sneakers, etc., right, my footballs. Um, that's not the problem. It's just that um, so far there, there was two, two things we're lacking. The industry found a solution in social audits and codes of conduct, which allowed the industry, obviously, to tick boxes. And it, it's, it's been working for a long time, but still it comes back into the news and is now with new technology being available simon with the pressure mounting because of the awareness of the consumer and the financial community also right let's not ignore that kind of to put and the legislators to put pressure on the brands actually actually do something that has impact that's pretty much kind of why why today is very different compared to before um, isn't there a danger that only good organisations are going to use this technology? Bad ones are just going to stay with the, you know, the, the, the ticks box exercises. How are you going to drive this as an industry standard? So, so, so it's a very, very, very good point. Now, thank, thanks for asking that, that question. So um, it is why, why I said before that technology whatever form, right, ES3G or another kind of uh, technology kind of solution um, will be required to be able to offer something at scale and at an affordable price for the industry. Because you've got to let the tech do as much as you can, as long as, 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 as soon as you take the human factor out of a solution, you reduce the cost, right? And you make, you make uh, a solution scalable and affordable. So that is the one thing. Um, the bigger brands are most likely probably to, to be the early adopters or right of, of, of new technology. They're definitely experimenting, right? I mentioned a few names who are very serious about this and they want to get it right. Okay. Smaller companies, smaller importers, etc., and, and and including retailers and then brands, uh, shops, or whatever it is, kind of will will be more likely to be in, 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 in the category of, of people that adopted technology once it's been proven somewhere else, etc. And at that time, it's got to work and it's got to be affordable. So that's the answer pretty much. And when it comes down to um, bad actors, let's put, put it in that category, so those who, who, who are not really following the rules, right? Unfortunately, they will be caught out. Right. If, if supply chains are going to be monitored and have to be monitored, then it also means that importers have to take action, either remedy, which is usually the first thing they will try to do, right, rather than uh, 
than changing supplier, but the bad actors will have to change. Indeed. And I was, I was myself, uh, whatever, two months ago, I think I was in Dhaka last, which is 80%, uh, about more than 80% of the exports of Bangladesh relate to textile garments. It's a massive producer of garments. So they're also, they're very aware of it. So, so, so they're still obviously talking about the Rana Plaza incident. And um, yeah, they, they made so much investment since then, together with retailers and big brands, etc. Um, but they are also very keen to 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 weed out uh, the 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 not so good actors that you've got out there. That's the, that's the idea. Obviously, that's the whole idea of ESG responsibility and sustainability. Now, I'm going to combine two questions for this next one, uh, and it's really about tensions within the ESG space. So, uh, on the one hand, do you think that the E in ESG, the environmental side, um, has uh, has really driven the social side out of the spotlight. You've got an example of, of, of Nestle, for example, um, pushing their sustainable sourcing over ethical concerns. And on the other hand, um, you've got the cost of living crisis, you've got people's uh, you know, consumer spending being increasingly squeezed. Are these considerations being, you know, pushed away, and people are are choosing cheaper products and are not considering the, uh, the 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 ESG issues? Yeah. So so we'll we'll see, right? Uh, the consumer obviously kind of has a choice, and they can vote with their wallet for. So they can they can prefer sustainable products over others, but they've got to be able to afford them. You're absolutely right, Simon. And it's not going to be so easy for all, right? All consumers. But the trend is not going to disappear. Right, and it will be. There will always be enough of a of of a of a of a force of consumers to drive change and to make brands really focus on sustainability and be able to back their claims because it's very important. Right, no doubt that will go away. And yeah, it's not it's not the ideal time with uh, with, the, with 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 inflation etc. being so rife, but it's not going to last forever either. And then and the trend I think is totally irreversible. Right, that that's that's the first thing. Then is it being pushed aside, right? The ethical sides or the, the the S of ESG versus the E? I don't think it's being pushed aside, but it does not get as much priority as the E. And I think that's for good reasons. It's a lot easier to explain the E than the S. Right? And because it's much more visible as well. So so with obviously COP 26, 27, it's in the news. Uh, people, when people are told, like, look, our, our children, our grandchildren are gonna gonna survive on this planet, right? If we don't do something about it right now, that's 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 proper. That's scary stories that have an impact on on, on people. Social conditions of workers do not impact people in the same way as directly. Okay, although people care. Okay, and one of the reasons why um, the the S has been kind of kind of well, a bit 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 put in the background. Probably because because many people think it's so difficult to measure in, in the, to detect in the first place. So, but it, it will come back because uh, legislation and stakeholder expectations they they also focus on the S. It's not just the E, even the G, right? Uh, <laughs> um, it gets attention. I hope now, that answers the question. This Simon. is a, a, another interesting question we've got here, Chris, which is about the form in which 
information is given to consumers and the, and, the, and the question is saying you know could you for example rank companies one to five on how their workers are, are, are treating but uh, are treated but i'd like to add to that um nowadays on packaging you get a lot of consumer uh, information you get information about the salt content the fat content the carbon etc it's how can you actually ensure that consumers don't receive information overload with all these ESG issues? Yeah, that, that's fine. It's a good question, right? Because there's a lot, there's a lot that you want <laughs> that you can share about the information, etc. So there's a few things, right? First of all, as you say, kind of uh, um, shops, retailers make claims about their products, right, on their labels, right, with sugar content, etc. Um, what is important is that all the going forward more than ever is that all the claims that are made have to be backed up with data. Okay. Um, Cause there's still some brands being accused of putting stuff, making claims on their products, uh, but not being able to, 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 to substantiate them enough, et cetera. So that's a trend that will, 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 will continue. Um, the, the, when I, when I mentioned the, the example of the, of the QR code, right on the label in a, in a shop, a clothing kind of a retail shop. Uh, it's just one example of, to, of communicating with the consumers. We do believe having discussed things obviously with, with, with market participants that uh, this, is, this is coming. It already exists in certain areas, right? Uh, like this and, but very much kind of the communication with the consumer, we do believe will need to be controlled by the, re by the retailer. Okay, is the retail the retailer is not going to give up control, right? Kind of say you ESVG or you somebody else, we just let you put on that QR code whatever you like, <laughs> right? There's a third party. That's not going to happen. I don't think so, and it's not really needed either. What is important is that whatever information is is put on the label, right, via QR or in other ways, is just substantiated, yeah. and that's where we come in because the retailers we have all the data to back it up. Right, and the same thing is happening on the e-space uh, assignment with the product passports uh, initiative, etc. For the EU, uh, it's all about data. Yeah. Now, Chris, I'm uh, I can see that we're running out of time here. There is a an interesting question that I don't think that we're going to have time to 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 ask you unless you're very very brief, and it's about anonymity. How can you ensure the anonymity of the respondents? Say, for example, there's litigation and um, yeah. uh, the litigants demand your your records. Do you strip the data uh, of anything which uh, which enables you to uh, to identify the respondents? Exactly. So the idea is not to identify who gives an answer. Right, the idea is to get real direct feedback. That is what the app is about. Okay, so we, we, do, we do deal with anonymity in, in a way that we don't even know the names of the workers. Okay, Excellent. Chris, so I'm going to have to stop you. I'm going to have it. to stop you there because we are um, definitely up against the clock here. Now, I understand that you have a two minute video um, that uh, people can have a look at. I'm afraid we're not going to be able to share it during this live broadcast. But if you have a look uh, at the recording which we're, we're taking in this broadcast, you'll be able to see the, uh, the, the two minute video. 
I'm terribly sorry uh, that time has caught up with this, ladies and gentlemen. I know that some of you still got questions to ask. Do please contact Chris to continue this discussion. You can email us or you can uh, email Chris directly and we can pass, pass questions on. We're going to be posting uh, the recording of this presentation online, as I said, in the next couple of days. And it will include a two minute video uh, about the product so you can revisit uh, what Chris has said in the, in the Q&A session. It just remains for me to thank the members of the FS Club for making today possible. I'd also urge you to keep an eye on our forthcoming events page for more webinars, which include the importance of relationship banking in a digital world. Friday is the new Saturday, how a four day working week will save the economy and complementary currencies as social innovations. You can catch up with all of our previous webinars on YouTube or our new Pizzazz TV channel. We hope to see you again soon. Thank you very much for joining us today. Chris, thank you very much. Goodbye. Thank you, Simon. We bring supply chains to life. We collect the data that busy people need so that we can all take more care of our planet and ourselves. With better information, we can make better decisions. We give the supply chain a voice by connecting workers directly to the consumer in the shop and online. Our systems can tell you how workers are treated from day to day. And it's quite simple. They tell us, and then we tell you. It's real-time information delivered directly to your mobile. So that you can decide what you want to buy in the shop or online. Our apps are simple and easy to use and individuals cannot be identified. Workers rate their workplaces on safety, freedoms, health, pay and conditions. And we deliver that information via a QR code directly to the customer in the shop or online. Transparent information, simply delivered, means your customers can make better decisions. We bring supply chains to life, delivering real-time data on ESG and giving the supply chain a voice.